Well, uh, I don't know if you heard, but our um, Unashamed podcast with Jason Phil Robertson kept on the rails by yours truly. And Zach Dasher, of course, because you got to have a Dasher, uh, is now an award-winning podcast. We won the K-Love Impact Podcast of the Year this past week. There we go. It's, uh, it's an honor for me to announce that to you because uh, you guys, this church, our church family, our forever uh, family, has birthed that podcast and you let us uh, cut our teeth on you through for many, many years, a hundred years of combined teaching uh, between over a hundred between the four of us. Uh, and much of that was done to you and for you. And so now we get to do that for the world. And it's making a huge impact, as you see here every week, as folks come here to turn themselves into the almighty uh, because of this podcast and what our church is doing. And to get to partner uh, with our partners from India and every other country in the world, what an honor. So I don't stand before you a proud person, but a very humbled person that we get an opportunity to do that. So to be recognized is a great blessing, and many uh, made that possible. So thank you out here, our live stream audience. I know many of you are part of Unashamed Nation, so we just want to say thanks this morning uh, for that. Where is Miss Brooke Lowry? There she is. Come on up here, Brooke. Brooke is eight years old. Yeah. Give it up for eight-year-olds. That's good. She's going to read our scripture. It says here she likes watching TV and reading. So do I, Brooke. That's a great pastime. Need to walk a little bit, too, because I've missed that part. All right, you ready to read for our verse for us? Okay. But there were also false prophets among the people. In the same way, there will be false teachers among you. Very good. Thank you, Brooke. You did so good. Woo! So awesome. I don't know about you, but that has become one of my favorite parts of our time together, uh, is seeing young men and women share from God's Word in our presence. So by the, uh, the miracle of modern travel, less than 12 hours ago, Mom and Dad and Lisa and I were on a stage uh, in Mount Hope, Ohio. And yet here I stand this morning. So I was uh, flying along last night late. 500 miles an hour, 41,000 feet above the earth. I couldn't help but think that we serve a God that is amazing. Amen. I was thinking about the Apostle Paul. Yeah, we can applaud air travel. Sure, absolutely. We, uh, I was thinking about that because, you know, I thought about Paul and, and all of his troop and his team and traveling on those ships to get from place to place. And now we have an opportunity to go and share the good news of Jesus a thousand, fourteen hundred miles, whatever it was away, and then be back here to continue to do that exact same thing. God is so good uh, to us, and what a blessing. And, you know, when we were there, we were part of the, there was a recovery ministry that had invited us um, called 612, based on Ephesians 612. And the idea is, is that wherever you go, there are the forces of evil that work against us, right? And so this is mostly rural. It's very, it's, it's the heart of Amish country. And so you think, well, why would you have a recovery ministry in Amish country? They don't need that, right? Oh, contraire. The evil one is working everywhere, including in the Amish community. 
And so ministries like this and the same one we have here made me appreciate our Celebrate Recovery ministry, our uh, recovery houses and everything we're doing here, because that's what we shared and talked about with these brothers and sisters who are doing that there. And so we just went to encourage them, to uplift them, to say continue to the fight. Uh, I saw a lot of really weird-shaped beards. You know, the Amish still have the long beards like you do around here, the kind of the redneck look, but it's all just plain face. So you got the full face and then the beard. So they've taken it to another level. But they're wonderful people, and I respect what they're trying to do. But like anything else, you can't do it without a heart for Jesus and his grace. And that's what makes the difference and makes the change. And so every community needs to hear that. We're in Second Peter chapter 2, if you want to follow along in the text today. And Mike and Dave uh, did a great job on Second Peter 1.1. 1, 1. And in there, there was just so much uplifting and enriching stuff. I mean, grace and peace and assurance and confidence and growth through productive and effective qualities. The work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit bringing us his word. And so Peter, we know from this Second Peter letter, is knows he's about to die. He knows that the prediction that Jesus gave him back on the on the shores of the of the Sea of Galilee are about to come true. And he's about to make that crossover. And he's going to do it in quite the dramatic way. And so this is his sort of last will and testament uh, for all those that he's been serving and leading. And so he's trying to get his group ready. He also knows that in a short period of time, and I'm sure he didn't know exactly when it was going to happen, but there was going to be a tremendous judgment that was going to come down on Israel. And we know now in hindsight that that course came about in AD 70. There was a rebellion in Jerusalem, and the Romans surrounded the city. There was a terrible siege, and many, many people died a horrible death. All this was coming. And so in this letter, his last words, he's trying to warn. He's trying to encourage, but he's trying to say, look, you need to look at the world for what it really is. And so today, we're in Second Peter chapter 1, and the section I have is not near as uplifting or flowery, but it's very real. And it's something we have to pay attention to. And the only way I know how to tackle this is to read the whole thing. So let's read Second Peter chapter 2. And there's a key word here because he was giving them all this good stuff. And any time in the Bible, I've told you this before, when you see therefore or but, pay attention. Because he gave them a lot of encouraging words. And then he says this word, but. There were also false prophets among the people. Just as there will be false teachers among you. And he was saying that in a first century audience. But we know, brothers, that it still goes on today. Amen. And that's unfortunate. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. And we're all bought at a great price, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. Well, what a way to phrase that. It's coming. And it was coming. Judgment is coming. Then he says in verse 4, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, and the Greek word here is the underworld, putting them in chains of darkness. 
Some versions say gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. If he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. Frightening. And if he rescued Lot, a righteous man, who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless. He says in verse 8, For that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. I can't think of another verse in the entire Bible that describes the way I feel every time I turn on the news than that one. Tormented to see the lawless acts of a corrupt culture. A lot of people say, wow, you just need to quit watching it. I understand that. That is an approach, and I respect that approach because who wants to see it? But just because I don't watch it doesn't mean that it's not going on. And it still torments me. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials, how to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh. And here's a new idea and despise authority. Bold and arrogant. They are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. Yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not heap abuse on such beings when bringing judgment on them from the Lord. But these people blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed. And like animals, they too will perish. He's talking about people. That's a sad picture of people, to be like the animals. Verse 13, they will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. There are blots and blemishes reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and a cursed brood. Man, what a phrase. That's a doomed and unhappy group of people. And a cursed brood. Verse 15. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Baor. Man, I wish I had time to give you that story. There's your extra reading requirement for the week. Numbers 22 through 24, the story of Balaam, the false prophet. By the way, there's a a talking donkey involved. Way before Shrek was ever thought about, right? The Almighty came up with it first. This man loved the wages of wickedness, but he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, an animal without speech who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Man, I guess we need more talking donkeys in our culture, right? Verse 17. These people are springs without water. Empty. Mist driven by a storm. Empty and yet full of rage. 
blackest darkness is reserved for them. For they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. And now the big finale. Verse 20. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off in the end than they were at the beginning. Man, what a fate. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and turned their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. And then one of the most graphic verses in all the Bible. Second Peter 2.22. Of them the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit. Do I have to describe that for you? And a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. Years ago, Paul and I, Paul Stevens and I, went up to Iowa to speak at a camp. And for some reason, someone talked us into going to visit a pig farm. I don't know why that was ever thought to be a good idea to go to the pig farm. But there was a man there that raised pigs and had quite the operation. But as soon as my foot stepped out of the van and that stench hit my nostrils, I began to gag. Do you know how hard it is to have a meaningful conversation with a man who spends his life raising pigs while you're gagging through the entire conversation? It's offensive to him. He lives there. But he got used to it. But I'm going to tell you something. In the whatever time I was there, I did not get used to it. Pig mud is different than regular mud. I'm going to tell you that right now. So I get this text. The idea to go back. I've been there. I don't want to go back. I got three questions from this text today because this is about false teachers. And in a sense, it's a challenge to men and women like me who have accepted the mantle of the leadership of others. But at the same time, it's a great challenge to all of us to look for what's there when the evil one has control of someone. You do not want to follow people that have been described in this text. So it's a challenge to both of us today. So my first question that's answered in this text is, how do you recognize these people? And so that's why the title of my lesson today is Liars, Lords, and Lustful Losers, because that's what we're talking about. The first thing you'll see is they are liars and deniers. They lie about God and they deny his sovereignty. And think about it. You would have to. If you were going to put yourself in charge And it became about you and your will over other people. You would have to deny the sovereignty of God. Otherwise, you would be then humble before him to do his will for other people. You would be but a servant. Isn't that what Jesus taught the whole time he was here? Even in his own person, being a part of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, he came here and whenever he was up against it, you know what he said? Not my will, but yours be done. Jesus showed us this example. But if you were a liar and a denier, 
you wouldn't submit to anyone because it would be about what you want. They lie about their motives and they deny people access to freedom from their own sin and weakness. And I think this is probably the thing that upsets the Almighty and Jesus the most. Is when you deny other people freedom. You take that away. Because your own depravity then becomes the motive for everything you do. And God forbid that that happens in the leaders of the church or the kingdom. They're greedy, according to this text. They're selfish. They're exploitative. And they're shameful. And instead of people who deliver freedom, they only promise it, but deliver depravity. And unfortunately, we see this more and more. It's what turns people away from God and the church. Because when they see this exercise, the ultimate rank hypocrisy of lying leadership. It's a destruction. They lie to themselves about their denial and their ultimate destiny. Wouldn't you have to believe the lie? There was an old Seinfeld episode where, I think it was George, who said, is it really a lie if you believe it? Now, it's kind of funny for Seinfeld, but when you think about that question, the answer is yes. It's still a lie. If it's a lie, it's a lie. And just because you believe it and then make it now in our culture, we'll say your truth is still a lie. And that's what people have to do to take people off a cliff. They have to believe their own lies. Some wise person said, beware the musings of a doomed man. And that's true. These people are awaiting destruction. But isn't that what Satan and his minions are all about? You remember what John said, uh, Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 31, to the Jews who had believed him. There were those who were there. They believed. They looked. He had done amazing miracles and things. They said, you know what? I think this guy is worth listening to. So here was Jesus' response to their belief. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you what? Free. So he said there is a direct correlation and link of truth to freedom. And you do that by listening to what Jesus said. So that probably sounded good in the moment until it didn't. And you read the rest of John chapter 8, and we get down to verse 44, and they didn't really believe because they didn't really want to accept truth, and they really didn't want to be set free. They would rather stay in their own bondage. And here's what Jesus said in verse 44. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. Now, he's going to tell you right here who is the father of all of this deception and lies. It's the evil one. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. That's all you need to know. There are no deals with the devils, folk. No deals. He will always, always stab you in the back. Jesus made it very clear. He even tried to make a deal with Jesus. And Jesus said, nope, no deals with you. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So when you begin to believe any lies, whether they're from your own heart, ultimately they flow out of the evil one himself. 
liars. But these, also, these people are also lords unto themselves. As I said earlier, they deny God's sovereignty. You have to do that. To be your own Lord, you've got to deny the Lord. They arrogantly appoint themselves as lords. And according to this context, they even boldly slander celestial beings. They talk about things they shouldn't be talking about. You know, I've always, when I read this text, or also in Jude 8 through 10, which says it this way, in the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and heap abuse on celestial beings. You see all these people running around now. It's, people love to play dress up in public. And they wear these outlandish things, and they're running around, and they're attacking, whether it's the church or Jesus or the cross or the devil or whatever. And you look at him and it's just all done in complete ignorance. But it's very dangerous because they're playing with fire. Even the archangel Michael, Jews said, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, the Lord rebukes you. When a powerful angel won't even talk about these things or bang disrespect on even the evil realm. You know that's something you don't want to mess with. People take it casually. These people slander whatever they do not understand. And the very things they do understand by instinct as irrational animals do destroys them. I don't play around with that. People have asked me before about casting out demons and people that obviously appear like they have it but i'm gonna be honest with you i'm not there i got some brothers around the world that have been and praise god for them i'm afraid of that i I remember that story in acts 19 to the sons of sceva they said jesus we know and paul we know but we never heard of you and then they beat the fire out of them it's in the bible look it up i don't want to be one of those guys it makes me very nervous because this is real these forces are lined up against us. And he said, were you afraid? I don't fear anything because of the power of God. But I don't want to mess with them either. Let them be. God can deal with them. I don't call out and make funny names about Satan and celestial beings. This text taught me that. That's what leaders should do. Be very respectful of what's going on in the world. This is spiritual warfare, folks. And we can sit around and say, oh, that's missed, and nobody understands that, who cares? And you just follow that path right into destruction, which is what happened here. They're also lustful losers, and this may be the disgusting of it all. The Bible says here they're carousers, they're pleasure seekers, they have adulterous eyes, they're seducers and enticers, and they involve themselves in flesh-driven activity. They look like men and women. Who love God, but instead all they want to do is just what everybody else is doing in the world. They just want to do it secretly. How many times do we see reports about inappropriate sexual relationships or abuse or misusing of authority in churches for sexual gratification? It's disgusting. I can tell you as a leader, as God's leader, as a shepherd, that frightens me more than anything. Because you are twisting the hearts and souls of the believers of God. And I know what's going to happen to you, according to this text. Everybody loses when you're enslaved to depravity. Everybody. First you, then your family, 
then your witness, and ultimately, according to this text, your soul is lost because of depravity. So that's how we recognize them. Next question, what happens to these people and those that follow? Well, according to this text, destruction, condemnation, being accursed, which means doomed, Ultimately, judgment, both end-time judgment, which we're about to read about, and also end, E-N-D, time judgment, blackest darkness, and hell. I get asked so much about what is hell going to be like. There are a lot of descriptions of it. Jesus talked about it a lot. There's a lot of different pictures. But I'll tell you this, every picture of hell, I'm not sure. I don't want to know, and I don't want to go there, because everything about hell is bad. I know that there's no God, there's no light, there's no joy, and there's no peace. That's hell. Yeah, but we need to know more about it to know whether we want to choose that. No, you don't. You don't want that. You can go and do a deep dive into hell, but I can tell you where you're going to wind up at the end of it. I don't want to be there. I want to be with God. I want to be in the light. I want to have joy. I want to have peace. I want to have community. Peter gives three examples of judgment in this text. The first one is in the heavenly realms, rebellious angels. And that all happened before we were even created. Man, what a picture that gives us, Satan and his fallen angels. And that impacts us. Then he gives another picture of ancient humanity and the great flood in Genesis chapter 6. The Bible says that wickedness was so great that every thought was evil and filled with violence. This morning, if we could teleport to different places around the world, including our own United States of America, we would see that very picture. And it's frightening. He talked about a specific region in Sodom and Gomorrah that was so depraved that there was an outcry that this sin was so grievous that God himself said, I'm going to go down there. You remember what was, what was like with your kids when you said, don't make me come back there. Remember that? That's what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. And so he sent representatives to see how bad it was, and it was bad. Judgment was hanging over, and it followed. So I know what's going to happen. I know how the story ends. It's not good. And so the last question, which may be the most important one out of those two together, is what kind of life would you expect from someone who is living this way and facing what they're facing? What would their life look like? Well, according to this text, it's empty. It's stormy. It's driven like an animal with no regard for people. It's destructive. It's enslaving and it's embittering. I mean, you're doomed. How are you going to live? Think about this. If you knew about freedom from depravity, you knew there was a way out. If you knew there was freedom from an addiction or something that was controlling your life, if you knew there was freedom from every guilt and shame you ever felt about everything you'd ever done, if you knew that there was freedom from evil itself, but you chose to do it anyway, what would that look like? He tells us 
it would look like vomit and a stinky pig pen. That's what it would look and smell like. I dare say none of us want to live that life. Amen. I remember a day drinking, drugging, and vomit was a part of it. And it wasn't pleasant. I remember being in a pig pen of my own making, and it stunk to high heaven. I don't want to go back there because I know what I know. Would you desire this life for your children, for your grandchildren? Would you desire this life for your culture, your community, your church? Peter gives us three examples, and it's tragic. And you say, man, Al, that's a, whew, not very uplifting this morning. Well, I'm going to leave on an uplifting note, because there's one here. Because as bad as that is, and as real as it is, and as much as we have to take it seriously and not play around with it, he gives us the idea of remnants of righteousness in this text. And praise God for that. Because that would be a pretty depressing text otherwise. In all three of those examples, there are faithful, righteous beings and men and women of God. We know in the angelic realm we got Michael and Gabriel. And we see throughout the history of our Bible in time we see people that are there that are standing up for what God wants. And if you think about it, every important aspect of the gospel of Christ, there were angels that are ministered to him or to announce his coming at his birth. You remember when he was in the garden of Gethsemane, who came to minister to him? Angels did. After Satan had tempted him, who came to lift him up and minister to him in that wilderness? Angels did. Who was sitting on top of that rock when he came out of the tomb? An angel. Who was there when he went up back to the Father, to the right hand, to mediate for us, to remind everybody that we're not through? Angels. Who did he say he was bringing back with him when he comes back? Angels. So there are some good ones, and I can't wait to meet them. Apparently, when you read about the Bible, if you meet them while we're here, it's very frightening and terrifying. I'm assuming in the next life we'll just be pals. But there are righteous angels. We know, of course, Noah and his family stood for what was right, and praise God for them. Can you imagine if Noah and his family had not decided to follow God, we would have humanity would have just been a failed experiment, and we would have never gotten the shot to be here. But because of their righteousness, because of them building a boat, now we're here. That's what God does to those who will believe. And old Lot, man, I don't know what to think about Lot. Every time I teach that section, I think Lot should have just got out of Dodge, right? I mean, get out of that blue state and get to a red state, right? That's kind of our thinking, right? But you know what? The Bible doesn't talk about him in those terms. It says he was a righteous man who trusted God even in the worst setting. And he probably held off the judgment for a long time for Sodom and Gomorrah. And I think about what if that's us? What if the reason why he hadn't come down like a ton of bricks on the United States of America is because of us doing the right thing? I love the text in Psalm 85, 11. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth. That's us. And righteousness looks down from heaven. 
Oh, what a blessing. Those are brought together because of our faith in God. Paul would put it this way in Romans 3.22. The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's the righteousness. It's not from us, folks. The righteousness only comes from God. But because of our faith, it now transfers to us because of the Holy Spirit. We can be difference makers. Paul would put it this way in Romans 1, and I guess it brings us full circle. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first the Jew, then the Gentile, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. The beautiful righteousness. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So at the end of the day, we need to know what false teachers look like. At the end of the day, we need to know we don't want to follow that path because it leads to destruction. He said, what does that have to do with this corrupt world? We don't want to be like the corrupt world, but we want to show the corrupt world the way. We want to be the light. We want to show them something better. We want to show them that righteousness is possible. And it is. I mean, I look around our church. I see people who other people would say there's no way they'll ever get it straight. And yet, God did it. God can do anything through what his son did for us and what his Holy Spirit continues to do through us. That's who we can be. I'm going to make a commitment to you from the leadership of our church. And I didn't consult with them. I don't have to because I know them. We're not going to be this. We're going to hold one another accountable. We're going to lead into the next generation of a leadership of shepherds and staff and people that you have put confidence in in Christ to be what we are called to be. That's our commitment to you. Now, my ask back is that you trust fully in Christ. Don't be like those folks in John 8 who mouthed it with their words, but with their lives and their hearts did something totally different. And for that to happen, you have to submit fully to who Christ is. And that's my challenge to you today. We've already witnessed today some that have submitted themselves to Jesus, who have said, we are not the Lord of our lives, but you are the Lord of our lives. If there's someone here who hasn't done that, if someone's watching on live stream and you haven't made that commitment to embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ, which brings righteousness into your life, today is the day to make it right. Last night, we're trying to get out of this place in Ohio, we're trying to get on a plane to get home because we got stuff to do today, right? So we're trying to get through and people are crowding in and it just, it reminded me of what it was like when I read about what Jesus did and people just come in because they just love you and they want to hear more. And I'm trying to get out and I'm the last one, of course. And this young boy comes up because I shared a little bit of my story. Looked like he was 16, 17, 18, tears flowing down his cheeks. And he said, I'm right where you were, Mr. Allen. I want to talk to my dad, but I'm scared. Stop everything else. Because we got a person who has decided to submit his life to Christ. 
And unlike me, he didn't wait until he got further and deeper into a pig pen. I said, tell me a little bit more about it. He did. And we prayed together that he would have the courage and strength to get his life straight and to embrace the righteousness of Christ last night. I pray that that happened. That's the most important thing we can ever do is to show people what Christ has done in us and in others. Never forget that. If you have a need this morning, why don't you come while we stand and while we sing?